0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. Um, I hope you are well. Um, it's been a, a busy week in the Lettington household this week. Um, we've just been at a um, leadership conference from Thursday through to Saturday um, and uh, so it's a new ground leadership conference. There was about 500 leaders, About there might have been 400, 500 I'm rounding it up to 500 uh, leaders at this conference, um, and the focus of the conference was the Holy Spirit, and it was a really great time. Uh, Just so you know as well, the team served New Ground over that uh, weekend as well. Um, Adam and Jeeves led a seminar Uh, separately on different things I didn't go to either of them but I've been told they were good Um, I went to another one because I've heard them talk about their stuff Um, but uh, they served Newground really well Uh, Jeeves spoke uh, on the main stage yesterday as well Uh, we were very excited just to serve the the Newground family of churches over this weekend Um, but the focus as I said of the weekend was the Holy Spirit and uh, just to refresh and remind us about the urgency of being filled and baptised in the Holy Spirit. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, as Jesus already said, we're, we're coming towards uh, the, what we would normally do in Alpha, is being baptised in the Holy Spirit. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's normally done over a, a day, me and myself, my, and, uh, my good friend Anne Newing, we've done many a Holy Spirit day, um, and seen people filled with the Holy Spirit. Lives have been changed um, And we're expecting, actually, in two weeks' time, something to happen. We believe God is going to move. And I just wanted to encourage us, we're just going to do something slightly different just before I really get into uh, what we're looking at this morning, is that we're going to pray for a thirst. And the question was asked to us as leaders at this conference, how thirsty are you? The Bible tells us Paul encourages us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is for today. And if you want to move forward in God, if you want to do all that God is calling you to do, it needs to be in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, my question to you today, church, is how thirsty are you? Do you want to drink more of the Holy Spirit? And what we're going to do right now, in anticipation for two weeks' time... God is going to move. He's going to fill people anew. He's going to fill people afresh. And I think it's going to be a significant moment in the life of the church. As we gather together and ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. So can I ask you to stand again? And then you can sit for a long time after that. <laughs> I've, I've got at least an hour's worth of preach. You can sit down for a long time after that. And I just encourage you to put your hands out and ask God to give you a thirst for him. And I'm just going to lead us in that, but you need to do it yourself. It doesn't happen by me saying things and it just happens to you. You need to go to God yourself and ask him, say, Lord, will you give me a thirst? Lord Jesus, will you give me a fresh thirst for the Holy Spirit? Lord, we come before you and say we are eager and willing and we want to meet with you afresh and lord we lift up um sunday the 26th to you and we ask you to come and meet with us powerfully and i prayed from this moment lord you will start to speak to us even more lord god you'll start to stir our hearts you will start to hear things that we hadn't heard before we'll start to see things that we haven't seen before because you are starting to move in our hearts afresh Thank you, Jesus. I pray for a fresh thirst for us as a people of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Uh, If you are visiting here this morning, it's your first or second time we haven't met. My name is Ian. Um, I lead the team here and uh, I'd love to get to know you afterwards. We're going to have tea and coffee uh, and I'd love to chat and get to know you. Um, I have... Three children and one wife, which I think is the right way (laughs) round. Otherwise, it would be too complicated. Um, And we're just excited as a family about what God's doing. And uh, it was amazing, wasn't it, that shared that verse about passing things on to a generation. That was another theme of the conference. Um, And it's a really important thing that's on our hearts as uh, leaders to uh, be encouraging the next generation. It's interesting we talk about the next generation because they're here they're not, you know, they're not yet born. They're, they're here. So this generation, we, we take very seriously in our young people. And I would just encourage you to get involved in the lives of our young people. And you can do that by praying for them. You can do that by serving on the kids' work. You can speak to Jeeves and Clara, who are here on the front. Give us a wave, you two. Come on, Clara. Higher, higher, higher. Hi. Um, <clears throat> speak to them about how can you serve and disciple um, this generation that's coming up. We need to pass these things on. We need to tell of the truths of God to the next generation. And uh, we, we're seeing a real increase in our young people coming. I think I've said this before recently. We're getting, again, this is my rounding up estimate, um, but we're getting, for our noughts to 18s, across a Sunday, so it's including our youth work in the evening, around 80 noughts to 18s. So I think... God is doing something particular about that, and you can get involved in that. So, pray about that. So, let's get on with it, shall we? Let's continue in our Greater Story series. Um, We're taking a bit of a turn today from the main narrative of what we might say the Bible heroes that we've been looking at. Uh, We have been and will continue to follow the line of God's promise to bless people through a family line, through which Jesus comes from that family line we've seen we've looked at Adam and Eve and we've seen Seth Noah Shem and now Abraham that we've looked at in the last few weeks how God made a covenant with Abraham we looked at last week what covenants were all about um, how God made agreements with people and God always upheld his side of the contract if you like but the people always failed we took that right through to the new covenant and Jesus being the perfect fulfillment of them all. And what we're looking at today is not exactly the main plot line that we're, that we're following through this promise of the Bible for the Messiah. But what the Bible does isn't just focus on the main line of the promise, but it includes stories of people who sometimes we're, we're not quite sure why, why they're there. They're not in the main line of the promise and a blessing to the world, but they are some people that somehow are going to be brought into the blessing because of God's people. And what we're going to look at today is meant to be an encouragement because when we look at some of these sub-plotline characters, it shows us that it's not always about the big heroes of the Bible like Abraham. We're not by nature at the centre of God's purposes. Most of us here are not Jewish by heritage. I am not a central hero of faith like Abraham, I know that's obvious to you, and what we're looking at today is meant to shock and disgust us, actually, to the reality of the depravity of human behaviour, but it should also encourage us that God saves marginal people whose lives are a mess. This should be encouraging to us because if this story, what we're looking at, if all we went through was about Noah and Abraham and Moses and the Josephs of, of the Bible, we might look at that and think, well, we're, we're largely irrelevant people. I hate to say that to you, but we are largely irrelevant people that ju- don't change the world and not part of a dramatic storyline. Most people, and I know I certainly don't, don't have national and world influence like Abraham who probably around four billion people would claim to be descendants of but when I read Genesis I think wow God saves people like Lot the character that we're looking at today and if you've heard of Lot anyone heard of Lot good a reasonable number of you that's good If you've heard of Lot, and you know the story, you know why I've been giving this a lot of thought and prayer this week. And this is a bit of a warning, a trigger warning, if you like. Today is going to be a little graphic. So if you have young children that haven't gone out to the kids' work, I suggest you might strongly encourage them to do that. Most people haven't heard of Lot in today's world. And if you've heard of Lot... It's normally because of a few things, of what he is known by. First, he lived in a place called Sodom. Second, he had drunken sex with his daughters. And thirdly, his wife, as they were escaping a city that was being destroyed by fire and sulfur coming from the sky, she turned and was instantly turned into a condiment. She was instantly turned into a pillar of salt. I told you it was going to be interesting today. And Lot, he, he was notorious. He is not a hero at all. But we can look at Genesis 19, which is where we're going to camp out for most of the morning, and realize that God saves greedy, cowardly ditherers like Lot and think, wow, that's, that's just like me. You know the, the, the real you. Not the one that we like to portray to people The one who has those thoughts about people and things, the the thoughts that we would hate to be broadcast to the world. is Is that just me? That's just me, okay. I thought you looked like a pretty holy bunch. And we can look at this story and think, God saves people like that. And if he saves people like that, he can save people like me. But before we dive into the main text in Genesis 19, we're, we're just going to need a bit of a backstory first of this character, Lot. So, Lot is first mentioned in Genesis 11. He is the nephew of Abraham, he's the son of Haran. Abraham, who is Abraham, Abraham, remember we talked about that in recent weeks. Abraham and Lot have traveled together. They have grown in possessions and livestock, and all of a sudden there's strife between their herdsmen of the two relatives. Maybe there wasn't enough fresh grass on the hills or something uh, for all their animals. And the shepherds, their shepherds got into a bit of a ding-dong and didn't like each other and started to fall out, so they decide to separate. And Abraham gives Lot the choice of where to go. And in Genesis 13, Lot looks east. Uh, I was, was going to look one way, I'm not sure what way is east, but Lot looks east anyway, Uh, the Valley of Jordan, which is entirely watered, and this valley looks lush and prosperous. It even says it's like the Garden of Eden. It says it is well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord. So he chooses a place like Eden, but we're told in Genesis 13 that it will get destroyed. It seems like a good spot for Lot to go, but there are little breadcrumbs of clues that Lot hasn't made a good choice. Halfway down from about verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before, this is a big clue, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So there's a few clues there, isn't there? Uh, where, at the beginning, we can see through uh, Babylon and the Tower of Babel that originally cities were seen as rebellion against God and people trying to create their own protection and trying to make their own greatness. And then there's the fairly obvious clue in verse 13. The men of Sodom were wicked great sinners against the Lord. It, It leads Lot and his choices into terrible surroundings. He eventually gets taken into captivity by an opposing king from another area. Abraham has to go and rescue him. But Lot's desire for the best of everything led him into sinful surroundings. He chose an area that he thought would give him the most. His desire for possessions and success ended up costing his freedom and enjoyment. And as a captive, he faced torture and slavery, even death. And in the same way, we can be enticed into doing things, going places that we shouldn't, even taking jobs or going into careers that we shouldn't. Because the prosperity we long for can captivate us. It can entice us, it can enslave us when we do not line up with God's desires. The main story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah happens in Genesis 19, but really begins in Genesis 18, uh, when Abraham receives some visitors. And we have this fascinating moment when three men appear to Abraham, and we... If, uh, As we start to read, we think, okay, these could be three angels appearing. Uh, But in the end, it's likely that at least two of them are angels. This really is worth you studying it in your own time. There are so many more layers to this that we can't go through completely this morning. One of them, one of the visitors, is referred to as the Lord. And they seem to be passing through. They've got a message for Abraham and Sarah that they will indeed conceive a child. Abraham? Abraham? Jeeves is going to look at that next week. If Abraham turned up, that would be pretty interesting. Jeeves, you're not preaching if Abraham turns up. And then there's this incredible dialogue between God and Abraham, where God tells Abraham he's come to destroy the city of Sodom. And he has come to see for himself, that's what he says, he comes to see for himself how bad it is. He is a fair and just Judge, And the, there's this, been this outcry of pain and injustice that has reached God. Is, these are the same words in the, the original language used earlier in Genesis, where Abel's blood cries out from the ground. It's the same before the flood. This outcry comes up to God, and he's come down to sea. And then there's this fascinating bit where there's this bartering between Abraham and God. I mean, this shows... Just, I I think if I was face to face with God, I wouldn't start trying to barter with him. But Abraham asked God to save the city if there's 50 righteous people there. And God knows what is right and what is right to do. And this, I think, as you read that discussion, um, this is happening more for Abraham's sake rather than Abraham having to remind God what is the right thing to do. And then there's this famous verse in Genesis 18. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So Abraham says, 50 righteous people. God says, okay, I'll save the city. Ooh, uh, what about 45? Uh, okay, I'll save the city. And then there's this sort of bartering that goes on. Uh, 45, 45, no, okay, what about 30? 30, 30, 30, 30 righteous people, 20 righteous people. And it goes all the way down to 10 righteous people. God says, okay. If there's 10 righteous people, I'll save the city. I'm probably putting my own parenting spin on that. Okay, all right. But God is patient and merciful, much more than I am. He says, if there's 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. And then we begin this story with the question, will God find 10 righteous people there or not? So let's start from verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. I said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast of baked, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So there's this standard introduction to a story: angels drop in to a city and get invited round for dinner. And these angels have been sent by God to bring judgment on the city. They've come at night and they enter a house, and there's a feast of unleavened bread. And for some of us who know the story of the Israelites, this might be ringing a few bells. They've come at night and they enter a house where there's a feast of unleavened bread. This is just what happens when God breaks the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Angels come at night to bring judgment and people go inside and eat unleavened bread. It's us to the story that God saves some people out of coming judgment for others. And this helps tee us up for the rest of the story. And just for our own information, when Lot is sitting at the gate, it's likely he has some responsibility, be it an elder or something of the town. Let's move on from verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, this is where the story starts to get a bit X-rated because it might sound like they're being very welcoming. Hey, what about those guys that come to see you? We want to get to know them. Bring them out. We'll have a drink together. That's not what it's meaning. In the biblical language, to know someone is different. So earlier, Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant. Are you starting to understand now what it means? It's a euphemism like we would say they slept together. So to know someone in the biblical sense is to have sex with them. So this is a story about the men of the city, young and old, and in the language of what is written shows nobody is excluded. All of these men have come to gang rape these two visitors. It is a vile story of the depravity of mankind. And it gets worse. So let's look at Lot's response. Genesis 19, verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn with us, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, this is the angels inside, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. This is a diabolical story. What sort of father is this? And they reject Lot's offer of his daughters. Maybe Lot was bluffing, we don't really know that. Knowing that these men might reject his daughters. But this city has completely lost the plot morally. This sort of thing happens when a whole city falls into a moral cesspit. It happened then, and it happens throughout history, even in our time today, in our lifetime. And sometimes, it might gross us out sometimes what is in the Bible, and people might say, can you believe what is in the Bible? It just shows God's awful. But the point of these stories is to disgust us, and we are supposed to recognize that this is horrible evil. It's certainly not condoning it, it is of course condemning it. It's like reading a story of the Holocaust or watching a film about the Holocaust and at the end they have to put subtitles on it saying killing Jews is a bad idea. It doesn't have to say that because it's obvious. And God is going to condemn this city because of how it behaves. And the angels, they don't go away or flutter up to the sky... They drag Lot inside and strike the men blind to stop them. And these angels kind of have a Passover sense to them again as they strike a plague over the people and rescue others by bringing them inside the door. Moving on, verse 12. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? So we think back to Abraham's bartering with God and the question that we began with, did God find 10 righteous men in this city? The answer is no. He did not. He did not find 10 righteous men, but despite that, they wanted to rescue people anyway. And there's this sense of urgency here. They say, have you got anyone else here? Quick, get out. There's judgment coming. And this is God's character all the way through the Bible. God is going to judge wickedness. He hates gang rape. He hates oppression. He hates injustice. He is going to wipe out all evil and wickedness, but he wants to save people too. And these angels are agents of judgment, but they are also agents of mercy. Find anyone you can, anyone else we can rescue through this escape. And sadly, we can hear warnings and think they're a joke. The sons-in-law don't think Lot is being serious. We need, too, to to take seriously the coming days of judgment. These foolish men made merriment of Lot's claim. The sons-in-law did not take the warning seriously. They lived the merry life. They made jest of everything. They made jest of the warning of the judgment to come, and we too must take seriously the coming judgment. We must not make light of sin and the effects of it, but we must warn those who are stuck in it. And if we are being truly loving, we must tell people the truth and not water things down just to suit modern ears and minds. We, you may be under some conviction today of the misery of your spiritual state and the necessity for change, but we must act today because we do not know what tomorrow brings. Sodom and Gomorrah is the second most frequent illustration of Jesus' second coming. Jesus warns in Luke 17, verses 28 to 33, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. We must not respond to grave, serious warnings over our lives and our future by not taking them seriously. Moving on. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels earned, urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife with his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So dawn breaks, and they're still kind of sleepy, and the angels literally have to throw them out. Lot is still in his pyjamas. Oh, what's happening today? And they have to, he's leisurely strolling, and that's kind of be how we can be as humans. Oh, you know, we're just having a leisurely chat with God. We'll take our time to make our minds up. We're just you know, chatting it through. But God, in his mercy, takes us by the hand and says, get out now. Your dithering, your indecision doesn't stop God from showing you mercy. His saving you is more like an urgent call than a leisurely chat. Mercy doesn't wait for us to stop lingering before it rescues us from destruction. Mercy comes whilst we're still in our sins. Mercy looks like a nighttime escape in our pajamas. Verse 18, Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one and my life will be saved? I think this is where I'd be losing patience if I was the angels, to be honest. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor. In some um, translations, they say, All right. Behold, I grant you this favor, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there therefore the name of the city was called Zoar the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt So the family escape the city, and they're still bartering. And the angels say, run for the hills! And they say, ooh, not sure if we can make it that far. How about that city over there? Judgment comes, they've escaped, and then there's this unexpected twist. Lot's wife turns back and is turned into a pillar of salt. And this is serious this is we can make light and, and joke about this which i have been guilty of i was talking this story through believe it or not with my kids this week and they were struggling to visualize that and i said no he didn't then carry them around in a salt shaker that's not what happened this was a serious moment judgment comes and The same thing happens again in the Passover. Angels come in the night, they flee, they go through the Red Sea, they've escaped slavery, only to start reminiscing about what they had. And this is the kind of what's happening here with Lot's wife. The Israelites are free, they're finally in a place where they can live out their inheritance, they're free from slavery, and they're reminiscing about cucumbers. And they, like Lot's wife, had been rescued, but looking back to their old life. Lot's wife turned back to look at the smouldering city, but she was unwilling to turn away completely. Let me ask you today, are you looking back longingly, all the while trying to move forward with God? We cannot make progress with God as long as we're holding on to pieces of our old life. I realized I had to do that and it took me time and actually it was the baptism and the Holy Spirit that started to renew my mind and my thinking and for a while I though I'd made a decision to follow Jesus I had a foot really in both camps I don't I wasn't a very good husband probably in the first year or two of our marriage but God broke in Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. No one. We need to be all in for God, all in for his kingdom. Lot also hesitated until the angel seized him by his hand and took him safely out of it. Lot didn't want to abandon his wealth and position and comfort that he'd enjoyed in Sodom. And we need to be wiser than Lot. We must see the hesitation to obey can often stem from the false attractions of our culture and its pleasures. Jesus referenced this moment when talking about follow hit, following him, he says, "Remember Lot's wife. Don't be the person who nearly made it." This wasn't just a glance back, she looked back with longing, and that's what Israel did. That's what she did. And that's what Jesus says we must not do. And to be like that song, some of you will remember it, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You're lucky I didn't sing it. Don't be the person who nearly makes it, but takes too long looking back at the life they may lose if they follow, if they follow Jesus. And of course, I would encourage you to count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus. That is important, but don't get caught up in the trappings and the comfort of the city, of the life, of this life. If there are things that you couldn't do without or surrender for the sake of God's call, then there may be a lingering. And we see later in the chapter, Abraham looking over the city that has been destroyed And wickedness and evil and sin will be judged. Sometimes God just has enough and draws a line under it. One day God will come and put an end to all evil. He will put an end to all evil. And if we want to live in perfect peace and righteousness, he has to get rid of all the bad stuff. And when Jesus comes again and brings judgment, it will be celebrated because all of the evil, wicked stuff will be over. Forever. And this serves us as a picture for the rest of Scripture of the coming judgment of Jesus' second coming. But God even withholds judgment to save some, as we're seeing in this story. And he is now withholding judgment so more can be saved and enter into his kingdom. One day, all evil will be dealt with. He remains faithful and he promises he will not treat the righteous like the wicked. But he also promises not to treat the wicked like the righteous. And in the days we're living in, we may see much evil around us. I don't know about you, but we, I've been thinking about the Jesus' second coming a lot more in recent weeks. There's so much Evil and war and hatred, and people hating God's righteousness and His design for life, and churches falling away from God's word. But we have to be careful, for it is not for us to know when Jesus will return. But the evil we see around us should encourage us to plead with people to enter into the kingdom before it's too late. That's what this the impact of what is happening around us and in the world should do it should encourage us to say hey it's a reminder that god is going to come again and you need to come into the kingdom before it's too late god tells us about sodom to warn us get ready for judgment day let us not be asleep and if we're still living as life begins with us then it's time to repent and live in the light of the fact that it all begins with God. If you are a follower of Jesus, then it is time to set your mind on the things above and stop looking back at the sinful pleasures of the world. There is lots in this story. They all turn our stomachs, but through it, Lot gets saved and rescued. But Lot doesn't seem like a good guy. Why is he getting saved is the question we might be asking. But when I was reading this, it just stirred me to think uh, the question really is, why did God save me? I look back at my own life and think, why, God, did you save me? I did some despicable things, but God showed me mercy. Why did he rescue me? Why did he rescue Lot? A last look At chapter 19 today, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. He had one who was interceding on his behalf. Lot had a faithful kinsman who we'd forgotten about for a moment. But he was up on the hillside praying. He was a faithful man of God. He believed in God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness as we looked at last week. He was crying out on their behalf, on Lot's behalf. Judge of all the earth, show mercy. Lot had a covenant-keeping friend on the hillside watching over him. And he was praying for him that the God of mercy would be merciful to him. He had a covenant-keeping friend, and so do you, and so do I. And he is praying for us and interceding for us. And his faith was credited to him as righteousness. But my friend, my kinsman is crying out to God and watching over me and you. God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot, and God remembers Jesus and he rescues us. And on the basis of him praying, nothing you have done, Jesus is dragging you out of the city in your pyjamas into safety. And friends, that is the beauty of the gospel. And you've been dragged into safety. And Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. No one. He is the basis of your hope, not your own righteousness. But your covenant-keeping friend is extending mercy to you. The Father hears him and he rescues you. Let us now respond. Let us pray to be awake in these days. And we can pray for forgiveness. I can ask you to stand. If you already know Jesus, you can be praying for God to keep you awake awake spiritually awake to the days that you're living in the days we are living in that we need to be urging people to come into the kingdom before it's too late we do not know what tomorrow brings but also today if you haven't ever decided to follow jesus then today is the day before it's too late Today you can receive the free gift of salvation. Let's just bow our heads. And if you want to, today, give your life to him, you can do that right now by just repeating these words after me. And I want you to think about each word as you say it. Just why everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to do that for the first time, why don't you just raise your hand just so I can see it's between me and and you and God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You can say these words after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. But I also know you have offered me the gift of your forgiveness. I know that you gave your life for me and then rose again on the third day. I gratefully receive your offer of salvation. Please, Lord, come into my heart and head as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And Lord, we, as your people, as your gathered body of believers, Lord Jesus, will you come and stir our hearts afresh Lord, for the urgency of the gospel message. Lord God, I I pray for a fresh deposit of urgency and boldness and courage for us as your people. Lord God, we thank you that you have shown us mercy. We have received mercy. And now, Lord, send us out to tell others about the mercy that is on offer. Help us, Lord, increase our urgency and our sense of what is coming Oh God, so you can save many, Lord Jesus. I pray that for my friends here today, Lord Jesus. I I pray for a fresh partition of um, courage and boldness and a heart for the gospel, Lord God. I pray that you will give them opportunities this week, Lord, to share the good news, to share, even if it's a little that they know, share the little they know. Lord God, give us, Father, divine appointments with people of men and women of peace that you've prepared in advance. I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.